Uh, good morning if you're watching online as well. I want you to know that it is such a privilege uh, and honor for me to stand here, uh, first of all, uh, to be able to share with you the Word of God. It's such a great honor to do that. And I feel very privileged uh, that uh, even though that Doc ribs me about being the old guy on staff, uh, that I'm still physically able to do this. <laughs> oh, boy. But no, through God's grace, it, it, it'll happen, yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, folks, you've probably seen some of these little signs you see on the screen behind me, either in maybe your neighbor's yard or you're driving around and maybe you see them on the side of a building or, uh, you know, some kind of a poster to be kind, to be good, that kind of thing. And you may this sound a little different to you, but it sounds weird to me that we live in a culture where I need to be reminded to be good, uh, you know, to be kind. Yeah, but I guess with the people where we're divided politically and divided racially and divided because of COVID issues, maybe I guess we need to be reminded to be good and kind to one another. You know, our culture itself, we have standards that we, we measure goodness with. You know, some of those standards that uh, we measure have been set by our government, you know, where it's a, you know, you don't speed, you, you don't drive recklessly, you don't destroy property, you don't cross the street in the middle of the block. You know, but most of us have our own personal standards of goodness. What marks people to be good? Things like, you know, always tell the truth, do not cheat, don't pick your nose in public, you know, keep your promises, be dependable, don't cuss, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. And those are just to name a few of our standards of measuring goodness. When we see people like that, we check off the box. But that must be a good soul right there. Well, some pretty old guys uh, and smart fellas, I guess, uh, debated about goodness. A fellow by the name of Sigmund Freud, I don't know if you ever heard about him or not, but uh, he considered newborns a moral blank slate. And as they grow, their morality is governed by internal as well as external stimuli. Rousseau, on the other hand, argues that man would be gentle and pure without the corruption of greed and inequality caused by the class system that's imposed in our culture and society. Well, I don't want to insult these old guys, but since both of them are dead, I guess it doesn't matter anyway. Uh, so if they really were smart guys, if they were really all that intelligent, they would have paid attention to what Jesus said about the goodness of mankind. Now, a gentleman by the name of Luke, a very smart gentleman and himself, he was a physician and also an avid Jesus follower that walked with Jesus for about three years and listened to his teaching, said that no one is good. Matter of fact, Jesus, he recorded this, what Jesus said, that no one is good except God. Now, that verse may make us stop and think, or at least it, at least it should. And you may go, now, wait a minute. Now, you wonder, you're telling me what Jesus says that he means that I am not good. Now listen, listen to me. When you say I am not good, you say, well, I go down the list. I'll tell you, Vern, you know, uh, for you guys, you don't beat your wife. Guy and husbands, you don't, or and wives, you don't beat your husband with a frying pan. You don't kick the dog. You pay your taxes, right? You've been baptized. I come to church sometimes. What do you mean telling me I'm not good? I've checked the boxes off. I am good. 
Well, even though through these bright lights, I can kind of see some of you, you know, that little vein that runs down the middle of your head. I can see some of that popping out before you pop a blood vessel. Let's go a little bit further and see what Jesus says about being good. All right. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4 leading into chapter 5, where Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, what we find is where Jesus is choosing his disciples uh, to follow him. And in verse 23, we find out that Jesus begins preaching and teaching publicly. Large crowds begin to follow him around, and even those of his chosen disciples are with him. Then in Matthew 5, we find that Jesus is is still has his disciples with him and a, and a much larger crowd is now following him and it seemed like he's just kind of walking off but he's heading toward a mountainside now what i'd like for you to do if you would imagine with me that you and i are with that crowd that we're we've witnessed jesus healing all sorts of diseases people you know that were suffering with pain were healed Suffering with seizures were taken care of. All sorts of diseases were taken care of. The paralyzed were, walk, were walking again. The demon-possessed were set free. We followed Jesus over to that hillside after experiencing all of this with him. And we see him sit down and he begins to speak and we begin to listen with an attentive ear. He, we hear words that kind of move into our heart and into our soul. Uh, words that would make us, the listener, kind of scratch our head and wonder is this guy really playing with a full deck you know uh, and jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven our response well jesus said yep you got that right i'm poor i'm very poor in spirit i've been rejected i've been abused I have been told I will never amount to anything. I'm dirt. I am dirt, Jesus. And I, I don't sit there and tell me that dirt will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then we hear him say, blessed are those that mourn. They will be comforted. Again, we think, well, yes, you know, I mourn over being rejected. I mourn the guilt of my sin. I mourn that I'm not good enough to be accepted, but yet I find no comfort. Jesus continues to speak, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, <laughs> you mean to tell me, Jesus, if I'm quiet and I'm submissive, that I'm going to get ahead in this world? Sorry, Jesus, you got that one wrong. You got that one wrong. You missed it. We, then we hear him also say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. You may be thinking, Jesus, you know what? I want to be good. I really want it. I want to do what's right. But the temptation is just too great to mask the hurt that I have in my heart. And I try to hide it and I try to cover it up with maybe different things like maybe at times of drugs or alcohol or pornography or I shop too much or I work too much. And the funny thing of it is, even though I do all those things, I still hurt in here. Then we hear him say, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now wait a minute, Jesus, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Me be mercy? <laughs> Me be merciful? You gotta be kidding you don't understand how bad I've been hurt 
you don't understand through the broken relationship, through the broken marriage vows. My kids don't even talk to me. My mother gave me up as an adoption. My dad wants nothing to do with me. And even those so-called Christians, they don't even accept me. I hurt too much to be merciful. Then what Jesus says next goes in just a little bit deeper. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Did you catch that? Jesus moves in where he wants to live. He moved in and said, listen, in your heart, in the inside world of who you are, in the mind and in the heart, you get that right with me, folks. Not with me, with Jesus. You get that right with me. And guess what? You will see God. You will see Him. You will see His goodness. You will experience His goodness. And now you know what? We're scratching our heads that much harder. So again, we're, we're, we're thinking again. So he's telling us that I'll be blessed if my mind is pure, if my heart is good, then I'm going to see God. I'm toast. I'm toast. Because my mind is not pure on my own. And my heart is not pure on its own either. I think impure thoughts, and I know in my heart of hearts I have some issues that I need to deal with. I appear to be good on the outside. Well, you're a preacher, Vern. You're good. <laughs> you got a shoe into heaven. No. But, on, you know, you see that on the outside, but on the inside, I struggle. Just like every other Jesus follower struggles. So what do you do? You remember the term? Why big me? When you believe in God, but. When you believe in God and are not good, what do you do? Why big me? I loved that last week when the kids gave the definition of what why big me was all about. Why big me? Many Jesus followers struggle with being good enough. Folks, we grow up hearing from our parents or from other adults, you know, you better be good, little boy. You better be good, little girl. And then when you misbehave, what happens? We're punished, right? The wooden spoon comes out or the fly swatter. And at times, adult would even play the trump card, try to strike fear into your heart, hoping it would make you do better, okay? You know what the trump card is, don't you? You know what happens or where people go that don't be, behave themselves. And unfortunately, these phrases even carry over into our relationship with God, where we believe if we are not good enough, God doesn't want anything to do with us. Now listen, folks, listen. If you think you have to live a perfect life 
and have a perfect relationship to have a perfect relationship with God. You got this thing backwards. Christianity is not about you making yourself good. It is about you allowing God to make you better. Your salvation is not based on what you do. It is about who you know. It's about accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you see, it doesn't stop right there. We need to allow for the Lord to be the Lord of our life. Now, that's a word that we use a lot inside this room. Lord. Savior and Lord. You quote that, or have people to quote that when they accept Jesus Christ and, and baptize to Him. We have them to quote it when they join the church as Jesus and Lord. Outside this room, you probably don't use the word Lord, do you? So let me change the word to maybe help us understand a little bit better. But you see, the word Lord actually means boss. So I ask the question then, what we're saying, I ask the question, what we're saying is this. I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, and He is my boss. And I find that many people want to be saved, but not all who are saved allow Jesus to be the boss. And you want to know why they don't want to be the, allow Him to be the boss? Because they have to give up control. They don't get their way anymore. They have to change their attitude. So you see, to make Jesus Christ the boss of your life requires humility on our part. Requires a willing spirit, a willingness to change. Believing that living your life for God, God's way, is what is best. Now what we see here in Matthew 5 when he was laying it out here, it's not about making us feel bad. As, as, as I kind of put it, you know, we're looking at how, how tough we really got it. But in Matthew 5, if you really look at what he's talking about in there, it's a path to discipleship. It's a path that every Jesus follower needs to walk down. To be poor in spirit, recognize that we, we are not good and we do need a Savior. Mourn that I repent, that I'm sorrowful for the way that I am, and I know that, that I recognize that. Be meek, not proud or arrogant, and allow God to change my attitude, to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, not for the stuff of this world, not by the, the things that I'm tempted by, and then be merciful toward others, even if they don't agree with my opinion or don't believe the same way that I believe. This path leads us to getting our inside world, our heart and our mind, put right. To put it right with God so we can experience Him more in, in, in a deeper way. Every Jesus follower, let me say this again, every Jesus follower needs this discipleship path. Folks, and this is a procedure that happens to us. It is not done by us and that's maybe the part that we struggle with a lot we need to allow God to come in perform surgery on our heart to cut away the things that block our relationship with him things like I mentioned before like pride and arrogance and the lust for the stuff of this world but please understand this folks this procedure is not a one-and-done operation this is an ongoing process. 
that will make the quality of our life so much better if we allow him in. Now, I know some of you in this room may have experienced open heart surgery. Now, if you went around the room and I would talk to each one of you, uh, you would probably come across that uh, you really didn't want the surgery to start with, but it was telling you that is what's best for you to happen. Well, I've even uh, heard people describe some of the things that they went through after this. They talked to me about the discomfort that was experienced during the healing process. They talked about the side effects from medication. They talked about the possible mood swings of the fear and depression. They've talked about the changes in the daily routine and along with those lifestyle changes. Folks, it's the same thing in comparison to heart surgery, heart surgery and spiritual heart surgery. I had a gentleman tell me one time that I was talking about, he was talking about a diet that he had after his open heart surgery. I said, well, tell me about your diet, what it is. He said, well, here's the way I can explain it to you, Vern. He says, what they told me, he said, if it tastes good, spit it out. If, it's, if it tastes like cardboard, go ahead and swallow it. And, and I know there's a lot of change that goes on on the inside and outside after you have surgery like that. But in comparison, let me say again, in comparison, we may not want to have that spiritual surgery, but it's what's best for our quality of life. There will be uncomfortable changes on that inside of us. But it's okay. It's okay. It, it will come out for what's best. Uncomfortable changes that the Holy Spirit will, will filter most of our thoughts and our actions. And on the outside, the uncomfortableness may come because we're not conforming to our culture. On the outside, that we're loving people for who they are and not on the basis of what they believe. We change on the outside, not going with the crowd just to get accepted. But folks, the tools that God uses to perform this surgery is a lot different than what we find in open heart surgery. He uses his word and his Holy Spirit to make this happen. There's a passage of scripture that I've latched on to as, as a very young Christian, and I'll hang on to it for the rest of my life at Hebrews 4.12. The beginning of Hebrews 4.12, it says that, for the Word of God is alive and active, and I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that the Word of God, when it's acted upon, when you read in the Scripture, then you begin to act upon it, you'll see it come alive in your own life. You'll see it happen. And it's not anything that I've done. It's because of the Holy Spirit moving, and, and I realize that what I'm reading or what I've heard in the message is what's best for me. And then it goes on to say, because you see, it judges the attitudes of my heart, the attitudes of my mind. That's what the Word of God will do. And we've got to let that Word of God change us. Why is it that you, what do you, what do you think? You know, that Doc or anybody else that stands up here and encourages you to download the app and read the Bible every day, that they do that just because they're a preacher? No, they do that because we, want, we understand that that's what's good for us all. Not just for you, but for me too. And I open up that app every morning. I open up that app every morning and I read Scripture every morning. Why? Because the Word of God is alive and it's active and sharper than a double-edged sword, able to, able to divide joint and spirit, bone and marrow, and judge the attitudes of the thoughts of the heart. That's why. God, speak to me every day. Speak to me every day. I want you inside. I want you to change who I am. I want it badly enough. I want to share something with you again this morning. Anybody tell me what this little thing is right here? 
Defibrillator. That's good. Get that man a bottle of water, okay? This is a defibrillator. Now, what I really looked for was the old-style defibrillators. What I used to, I, I call them crash carts, okay? They come out with the paddles, and you, know, you see them put them on the chest, one on the side, and then they hit the electric shock, and the, and the body just kind of jumps, and the heart gets hit. Well, see, that's all the now. That little paddle is now these little things right here. There's two in that. You put one on the side and one on the, on the, over the center of the heart, pretty much, and you hit it with electric shock. What does it do? Well, that electric shock puts the heart back into rhythm. In comparison, with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working in tandem with one another, can shock our spiritual heart back into rhythm with him I desire that and I hope that you do too let me share with you what happened to a, a young man by the name of King David over in Psalms 51 and we always know King David is the man who pursued after God's own heart he was chosen to be the king of Israel and went through many terrible times but also what we find in, in Psalms 51 is this is after his sin with Bathsheba and uh, what he'd done, he had went off and had her husband killed in battle so he could have this gentleman's wife. So he had relations with her. And after all this going on, it finally hit in his heart that he was wrong. Look at what he says. Psalms 51, beginning in verse 10 down through 17, I'll give you some excerpts out of that. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Why is he crying that out? Because the shock that he sinned against God and him only. Are you shocked by your sin? Are you shocked by the word of God? Are you shocked when you do that? I am. It's not out of fear. It's because I know of his righteousness. We need to be shocked about our sin. That we are sinning against God and then he was also coupled with his own desire to change notice what he says as you move on down in that passage restore to me the joy of your salvation bring me back bring me back into rhythm with you God bring me back into it grant me a willing spirit to sustain me help me not to do this again there's that dependency there's that allowance and allowing God to move in here Notice what he also, he starts off, ask for a pure heart. And down, in, a little bit further down in 17, he says, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Recognizing his heart was not good and needed God to perform surgery there. Losing oneself in God, as King David did, will bring us face to face with our unworthiness and the need for God's goodness. And I look at that as a good thing because I recognize in my own heart that I can't live this life on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to guide me. Sometimes I wonder if, if we believe that God is even good enough. Now, if I went around the room and asked you if God was good, oh yeah, we could tell you about all the situations where God has been good in your life and you can point him out, but is he good enough? Now, what do I mean by that? Is God good enough? Is God good enough for you to say, here, take my life. You run with it, God, because I'll mess it up. Am I am willing to do that. 
Is he good enough? Or do you have to put in your two cents worth to make life good? That's the question that we have in here today. There's a story told about a young man who came to Socrates and was asking for knowledge. He walked up to the muscular philosopher and he said, Oh, great Socrates, I've come to you for knowledge. Socrates recognized the pompous numbskull when he saw one and he led the young man down through the streets of the city and they walked out to the beach and had both of them walk out into the water, out into the sea, just about chest deep. As they stood in the water, Socrates looked at him and he said, Now, what is it you wanted? The young man looked back at him and he said, Knowledge, O great Socrates, that's what I desire. Well, Socrates placed his hands upon this young man's shoulders and pushed him under the water, and about 30 seconds went by, and uh, he let him come up. He looked at the young man again, he said, Now, what was it that you wanted again? The young man said, Wisdom, wisdom, O Socrates, great and wise one. Socrates crunched both of his hands back on his shoulders again and shoved him back under the water. 30 minutes, 30 seconds went by, about 35 seconds went by, 45 seconds went by, 50 seconds went by, almost a minute. He pulled the man back up out of the water and he said, now what was it you want again? And through the gasping of air, of, of, of the water spitting out of his mouth, he says, I want air. When we desire God to change our heart as much as we desire air in our lungs, that's the sign you will know the goodness of God. Do you desire Him that much today? Do you desire God in your life as much as you desire air in your lungs? Do you desire to let him lead in your life? Because you see, the goodness of God is not a goal, but a result. The result of us allowing God to perform heart surgery, to pay, repair the heart that, of the scars of sin and of guilt, and even our unworthiness. I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you. If you're dealing with the issues of life, you think, well, you know, I've, I've tried and I've worked hard and I've done this and I've done that and I've checked all the boxes off and I'm really thinking I'm good. I want you to stop. I want you to stop. I want you to stop and think that your goodness is not good enough. When I hear of a prophet that says, I'm not good, I'm, I'm wretched, a prophet then that makes me not good. Maybe you are dealing with struggling issues of the scars of sin in your life. Maybe the hurt and the abuse that you've been through. And you're wondering if you are good enough. It isn't about you being good enough. It's about you being willing to say, yes, Jesus, here I am. Here I am. This time is for you to make that decision. Those that's listening online, you may want to, if you have a decision to make, please input that. And they'll be talking with you about that as well. There's an elder back in the prayer room who's been praying for you ever since the service started. If you don't want to come down here and talk with me, that's fine. You can go back and talk with the elder or come talk to somebody, one of our staff. Find us, we'll, 
We'll be glad to talk to you, but please don't walk out of here if you have a hurt in your heart. Please don't walk out of here if you've never made a confession to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We'll talk to you about that. Please, would you come as we stand and let's sing together.